you can be successful by just like focusing in on what what your restaurant is and what it's about and like really like driving that home and sticking to your guns with that and understanding your your neighborhood um or your just like your local clientele figuring out what they are and what they want like that's where i see the biggest failure coming in is these people that want to open up this like they have these grandiose ideas of opening up a restaurant and like making it yeah because it's like i like to cook like this like this type of food blah 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 and then it's like yeah and, and they don't take a, into consideration where it's located who their clientele is what their clientele wants and i think that's like listen i think one of the big things is just kind of listen to your customer welcome back to the podcast everyone thanks for being with us this week i have a chef a co-owner and executive chef of little doms in los angeles the los feliz neighborhood and they've also moved a new operation up the coast to carpentaria it's called little dom seafood of course we're going to talk about the usual the labor challenges training philosophies leading by example marketing pivots all those things but speaking of pivots i'm always impressed by those who look outside the box and think about okay what can we do to stand apart from the competition solve a problem and give our customers more reasons to come back. And I've always believed in multiple profit centers. And maybe you've thought about this and maybe it's something you can still execute in your restaurant. They've been particularly successful with market items based on the cuisine they serve. So we're talking about meatballs and meat by the pound and pasta and pizza kits and anything that a restaurant can sell to its customers as a retail item is just another profit center. Another innovative idea that we're going to talk about. It's a Thanksgiving tradition at Little Dom's where they have a deep fried turkey feast out on the sidewalk, which has captured the public's imagination. So really that's what it's about. It's about standing apart. But we're going to talk about all the other things about chef, um, cuisines, and early backstories, and running successful restaurants, and best advice, of course, to operators moving forward. So stay with us. I'm excited to talk to Chef Brandon Boudet. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Imagine both your front and back of house teams are so well trained that they're executing flawlessly. Your front of house is doubling your sales, boosting repeat business, and creating five-star dining experiences, while your back of house is consistently preparing each dish to perfection, on time, and to spec. Having a restaurant this dialed takes a unique training system. That's where Serve comes in. Serve means study restaurant variety, and it is a powerful mobile training system custom-built to meet the needs of your restaurant. Serve will up-level your team's knowledge and skills maximize your profits, and create experiences guests will rave about. Serve is the key to unlocking your restaurant's hidden potential and will prove that the more your team is able to learn, the more your restaurant will earn. It's Serve, and it's a game changer. Ready to serve? Get started at servenow.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and with us today, Chef Brandon Boudet, and co-founder of restaurants Little Dom's and Little Dom Seafood in Los Angeles and Carpinteria, California. Welcome to the show, Brandon. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. 
I'm really excited to have you here. You know, we want to feature more chefs because it's such a heart of the business. Food, of course, is the universal language, and we have so many inspirations, and you obviously have so much passion for food. So we're going to take all that into consideration, but let's start with how you got your start in this business. And I understand it started at a young age. So tell us about that experience and then tell us, you know, your restaurant career and how you came to co-found these restaurants. Yeah. So I was born and raised in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, a big French and Italian family. Um, so food was a, a really big, important part of our lives. Um, and it became apparent at an early age that I was really into cooking. It all started off with a, a Valentine's Day cookbook that uh, the teacher was creating in the was second grade. And everyone's recipes were pretty straightforward, didn't make much sense, but mine was very, very accurate. Um, to this day, it the recipe holds up by far. <laughs> and then uh, um, from then on, like, I just uh, was always experimenting with food, like throughout my teenage years and such. Um, wind up going to culinary school in San Francisco. Um, got my first uh, big break opening up the Italian restaurant inside the Hard Rock Hotel um, at the, you know, uh, how old was I? 21 at the time. Right. I was the chef of the Italian restaurant. So I, I basically just, that, that whole phrase, act like you've been there. I basically lived by that one for, you know, 10 years. <laughs> what culinary school were you in San Francisco? Uh, the CCA, California Culinary Academy, downtown San Francisco, Polkinetti. Nice. I'm just getting that down. Okay, very cool. And then Hard Rock Hotel. So let's talk about your New Orleans roots, because you mentioned your French-Italian descent, and obviously, Louisiana cooking, you know, there's a Cajun, there's a Cajun theme, there's a Creole thing, and all that is French influence, but then you're bringing Italian influences to those influences, and then it all somehow combines. Is that correct? Uh, yes, definitely so. All right. Um, the, like a, a big thing that always came up uh, that I learned at a, a pretty uh, young age in the restaurant business was like to define like the restaurant needs to be defined. Like you go to a place because it has this type of food. So you, you definitely need to have a, a strong definition of what the restaurant is, I think for it to be successful. And so that's where the, the Italian part came in. And I'd had experience in past cooking it with my family and such. So it okay. kind of made sense. Now, along the way, you've also um, you've garnered some accolades with obviously the Food Network and you've been on the show Chopped and Knife Fight. Tell us how those things came to be. Like, how do you get recognized to be a competitor on a show like Chopped? And how do you get discovered for your talents and, you know, have Food Network cover you all that? Tell us about that. I think it really, it's, it starts by just kind of getting your name out there and just getting some uh, recognition through the restaurants and like showing that, you know, you're solid you're a solid chef in the, in the business. Let's talk about the history. Now, Little Doms, I really like your website. Let's go there first because I looked at your websites and as my audience knows, I really believe that the importance of a website is to demonstrate, to show your customers, even if they've never been in the door before, what the experience is like. You've got beautiful photos of the food. It obviously has been professionally done. I see the exterior building. It's called Little Doms, you know, in Little Italy and it 
it could be in Little Italy in New York. It could be in it could be in um, Milan or Naples or any of these places. Literally, you've made the building, the ambiance, the vibe. Give it that Italian flair. I think that's tremendous. So accolades for that for sure. Thanks. Yeah. No. It, we definitely like put a lot of thought and time into all of those little aspects of the, the you know, the ambiance, the environment. You know, my wife's an interior designer. It's like every restaurant we walk into, it's like lighting. The music, like people don't quite realize, you don't realize the environment when you're in it, but then once you walk away from it, it like starts to creep back up into your memory and you're like, wait, why did I like that place so much? And to the untrained eye, you don't quite notice those little things, like the details on the menu, the paper that is printed on, the volume of the music, are the bathrooms clean? Like all of those little things play a really important part. And people like people want to think it's all about the food, but honestly, yeah. like coming from a chef, it's hard to say this, but it's it, the food is not one of the most important things. It's up there, yes, but service, I'll say time and time Thank again, you. is more important than than the uh, than the food itself. Because if you walk into that place and they know your name and you get taken care of, the food can be good. Um, but if the service and everything else around it is amazing, then that food is actually considered to be great most of the time. So not to take anything away from like providing great food, but people don't quite understand the, like, the level of service and all of that other stuff that goes into it that really makes a restaurant successful. Yeah, I've got sort of a mantra. They're not just here for the food. And they may think that they're going out to dinner because they didn't feel like cooking or it's a special occasion, but they're really there for an experience. I think you made that clear. And I'm glad you brought it up because, again, um, I think that there's always going to be the element of human error. If you're putting out hundreds of meals a day, not everything is going to be perfect. And obviously, the staff have to be trained to put their best foot forward and to be empowered to handle something in the correct way. But if the service, like you said, is extraordinary, people are going to forgive a little glitch here and there as long as you make it right for them and they're going to give you another chance. I've always believed that. So I'm really right. glad you brought that up. Yeah. Let's talk about the pandemic. What happened to you in the pandemic hit? Uh, I mean, we, we closed the restaurant. We opened a new restaurant. We pivoted in another restaurant. So we had a, we had a busy time. Um, we uh, had a restaurant. Uh, called the 101 Coffee Shop for, uh, it was going to be 20 years this December. Um, and variable factors led to the closing of it, uh, the pandemic being one, but we knew that our lease was coming up and it wasn't going to be in our favor or made quite sense to renew the lease um, at this time. So we knew that the, the end was probably coming to an end. Uh, so we closed the, the one-on-one coffee shop, uh, an iconic diner that we had for 20 years in, in Los Angeles, um, very well known. And then we had to, little doms, we had to basically pivot the whole operation into to-go and a little market inside of our deli and such, which wind up being very successful. And still to this day, uh, we do a, a, a crazy bang up job on to go business. Now it's in, and then go ahead. I'm sorry yeah, to interrupt and, you. Keep and going. Then, and then, in, and then in, uh, we had been planning yeah. to open up little Dom seafood, uh, March 17th, 
2020. Yeah. We were like slated to open it up and something happened. Uh, and so it made it not available to do. So we pushed it back a little bit, pushed back a little bit. Then, then we started to like figure out, okay, let's, let's go for it. You know, we're not, we have to do it sooner or later. So we all opened little Dom seafood and cafeteria on August in what, uh, uh, middle of July of 2020. Not answering your phone is one of the quickest ways for your restaurant to lose a potential customer. But between serving in-person customers and dealing with the kitchen, it's hard for staff to prioritize incoming calls. That's why your restaurant needs pop menu answering. Simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can be handled without pulling a staff person from your in-person hospitality. Reclaim the power of your phone. Pop Menu Answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call in with, like, do you have outdoor seating or what are your hours? Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Plus, Pop Menu's full collection of tools helps optimize your restaurant's website and menu, streamlines your ordering experience, and assists in retargeting to enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Get help answering your restaurant's calls now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Very interesting. You know, our backgrounds are somewhat similar. I had five restaurants that um, I opened from scratch and, and that sort of thing. I actually purchased one that I didn't start from scratch, but I started four from scratch and operated them for about 20 years. And then we decided to sell everything in 2014. And then crazily, uh, I got the brilliant idea that I wanted to buy another restaurant just before the pandemic hit. And it was an iconic little breakfast diner cafe kind of place. And our pivot became a market. And when we shut the place down and reopened it, we had to rip out all the seats and the booths and we turned it into similar to what you're doing. You know, we were offering chicken pot pies to go and beer and wine to go. And we still did hot foods off the line, of course, but all online ordering and all those pivots. So very similarly, um, how did you make the move? Now I understood did, did little Dom start in West Hollywood and then it moved to Los Feliz and then yeah, you so, opened a seafood place up the coast. Tell us about all that. Yeah. So Dominic's is the original restaurant that we had. Dominic's had been around since 1948. There was a guy named Dominic Mozzie who had yeah. a restaurant for many, many years. Um, then in the late eighties, it went through a couple uh, reincarnations. And then in the early two thousands is when we took over Dominic's, which was like a rat pack, uh, rat pack hangout and such. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where we got the original idea to do the whole sort of old school, updated Italian American sort of themed food. Um, that's directly where uh, Dominic's came from. And that, that, that's what we like based off of Little Doms and everything is all of that came from Dominic's. And so originally um, we had Dominic's for uh, what, 14 years, starting out, off in 2003, closed it down in uh, what, 2000. 18 or whatever mm -hmm. can't do the math off in my head too quick sure. but in the beginning uh once we got that up and running dominic's um we thought about doing a little doms and having it be like a storefront sort of pizza place 
And so one day I was doing a um, doing some food at a wine tasting at a friend's place at Silver Lake Wine in Silver Lake uh, in Los Angeles. And he like standing next to me as we're like serving food and we're shooting the shit. And he was like, hey, uh, our friends have this restaurant that they were trying to get, but they can't come up with the money. You should go check it out. And so after I finished that wine tasting, I hopped in the car, called my business partner. I was like, hey, uh, La Bella Pac in on Hillhurst in Los Feliz is uh, is up for sale. And yeah. so sure enough, he went there the next day, started chatting up with the owners who also ran the restaurant and bakery. And uh, within about three or four months, we were able to obtain it. And then a year later, we opened it up. And that was Little Dom's. And it's been, you know, a neighborhood institution ever since. And then Little Dom Seafood is most recent, right? In the past year, year and a half or so? Yes. So Little Dom Seafood, I uh, live part-time with my wife in Los Angeles in Ojai, California, which is uh, about 40-minute drive to Carpinteria, California. My business partner lives full-time in Carpinteria, California uh, now. It's a, it's, a, it's a smaller beach town right before you get to uh, Montecito in Santa Barbara. It's like a 10 minute drive to Santa Barbara and Montecito, mm-hmm. um, two blocks from the beach, the space came available. My business partner was like, Hey, we can't pass this up. Um, with like, I think we should do a little doms. And I was like, yeah, a little dom seafood makes the most sense because we're surrounded by two. We have Santa Barbara Harbor, which is bringing in tons of great local fish. And we have Ventura Harbor, both within 15 minute drives of the, of the restaurant. And so it was like Little Dom Seafood was a no-brainer to us. Two blocks from the beach in this cute little uh, beach town in Southern California, it made the most sense. That does for sure. What's the division of um, responsibility? And obviously you handle, you oversee the kitchens of all three places, that sort of thing. And your partner handles the business side. Yeah. I'm the sort of the, the creative one dealing with the the menus, the kitchen, I'll, I'll I'll dabble in uh, talking with uh, certain people about our bar and wine program and such. Mm-hmm. How do you maintain consistency? Do you both spend time in all all the places and kind of move back and forth, that sort of thing? Like you've got yeah, good management like, in place? How does that I work? think you, you, you kind of, I'm sure, are familiar with it too. It's like you kind of treat them like children, the restaurants. It's like, you know, so Little Dom Seafood, it's uh, a year and a half old. So it's the baby. So which one needs more attention? The 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 12 year old or the or the two year old. So obviously the two year old needs has the one this is the one with the most issues. So obviously we're spending more time in Carpeteria. Little Dom's uh in LA um does well. Like I, we do definitely stop in from time to time and I spend time there also, but the majority of our time is spent at the at the younger restaurant. Gotcha. Have you had labor issues at the restaurants right now? How would you describe that and how have you dealt with it? Um, yes, it's been difficult. It, the funny part has been, di- it's been more difficult actually, I think almost in the, in the front of the house where it used to never be a problem finding, you know, a server that would make, you know, they were always making really good steady money. And now it's, it's harder to find that. I think, you know, back of the house, it's always had its challenges. Fine to 
you know, trying to uh, employ the lower positions like dishwashers and porters and stuff like that. It's always been a little difficult because mm-hmm. it's a, it's, a, it's definitely a transient uh, position that people tend to like want to move up or it's a, you know, a part-time job for these people. So it's always been kind of hard to, to maintain those positions. I see. Let's talk about your leadership style and not to demean chefs in any way. I started out young in this business. I bartended in college and I worked at a variety of restaurants and then I opened my own restaurants and either working or employing, I had a gamut of chefs. I had classically trained chefs. I had people that went to culinary school. I had people that apprenticed. I had people that threw pots and pans and yelled at the servers. I had people that were very strong leaders as well as strong culinarians. Where do you fit in and what do you think is important when you're a chef and leading an organization that you're building? I mean, uh, like I said, my leadership has changed through the years. It's like, you know, I've done this. I've been in charge since I was 21 years old. Um, so obviously how I led then and how I lead now is obviously going to be different. I don't spend as I'm not on the line cooking every night, whatever. It's more of a, you know, I come in and observe and talk to my leaders in each kitchen. So it's like, there's not like, I don't like it's changed. It's like, yes, I would be more vocal or whatever. I still believe that like when you're on the line and you're expediting whatever, it's like, you have to treat it like you're the coach and like your expediter is your quarterback and all your line cooks or are part of the team, you know, and you just like got to get them like focused, like get them in the mood to go, 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 go. It's like, and understand like just the under having your expediter and your, and your cooks and your lead line cooks, understanding like the nuances of service and, all of that is like one of the toughest things. Like people don't put much emphasis on, I think a lot of that. And it's, it's super important. Restaurant owners and managers, I call this the business of a thousand details. And you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? Sounds like you've got the big picture at 30,000 feet. Do you miss being really hands-on and cooking or you still get a chance to do it on occasion? Uh, Yes, I do. It's like, I, you know, I used to always find great joy in being in in a quiet kitchen, like before service or in between service and like chopping an onion and cooking some stuff and like creating specials with the sous chefs. That's kind of like my, like, enjoyable part of the day is when I can get in and do that kind of thing and help create. And it's also nowadays, it's really, it's really rewarding to be able to like, just 
even just talk it out with one of the chefs and say, Hey, let's create this and let's do this. And, and when they kind of are understanding, like they understand your, at this point, they understand your palate and your, your taste and your like what you, how you like to plate things and stuff. It's really rewarding to be able to like talk it out and then like see it evolve. And you didn't, you had a hand in it, but you didn't do it all by yourself. It was like a team effort that's like probably the most rewarding thing being able to do something like that. For sure. Probably one of the biggest shifts is pre pandemic. Uh, most restaurants really look for experienced people, especially in the back of house and anyone working the line had to have a certain skill set, that sort of thing. And now with the challenge, it's like they'll hire anyone and try to train them. Um, have you found that to be true? And if so, what skill sets are you looking for and how do you train people or do you have trainers that are training your people? Um, do you get involved in that? Yeah, no, I definitely get involved with it. I, like I said, like, you know, my one thing that I do right now presently at Little Dumb Seafood is I'll come in on the busier nights and, and help expedite in like you're right next to the seafood bar. And so you've got a, a good view of like everything what's going on. So I, it's like, yeah, like I definitely play a part in some of the training, um, but not all of it most of the cooks are, are trained by other cooks and by the sous chef. Mm -hmm. Let's keep on the training topic for a moment. And I don't know how involved you get with front of the house or if you have a dining room leader, or a general manager, that sort of thing. But when I ran restaurants, my competitive advantage, and you mentioned this earlier, the service really outshines everything. If you can deliver amazing, extraordinary service, then that is such a competitive advantage. But service is so much more than hospitality. It's also salesmanship. And especially yep. now during the pandemic, it's like every sale is absolutely important to maximize, of course, maximizing profit and training your staff so well that they're suggestive selling and that they have product and restaurant knowledge and that they're building relationships with every single guest to get them to come back and tell their friends and go on online, you know, social media and all that kind of stuff. All those things are critically important. Are you involved or what are your philosophies in terms of the staff that are interacting with your guests? Yeah, like we'll have we'll have meetings and stuff about that, and we definitely on a weekly basis we talk to all the managers about that kind of thing, and it's just it's really about providing the front of the house with all the tools necessary when it comes to like menu descriptions. We have a food bible, we have a wine bible, and all of these things they're all sort of um, they're expected to know all of these things before they get on the floor. And with the pandemic and trying to find staff, it's like, yes, we've had to be a little bit softer in our, in our desire to have our front of the house staff know all this stuff, like, like the back of their hand, um, which we've done in the past. So like, that's been, I think the hardest struggle throughout the pandemic and like getting starting to like move in the new direction in this time is just like, you still want to expect and uh, to have like that top-notch service, but you also have to be a little bit more uh, forgiving when it comes to these people and their knowledge and such to where it's like, you know, do have we had to take a, a little bit of a step back, I think, in, in service, I think just a little bit and just make sure that they're providing people with just like, being super friendly and super nice and providing with that and taking a little bit of backseat, uh, you know, a little back step with the knowledge that they, we expect them to know. Cause there's been so many other things that we've had to like throw at them. It's like, you know, 
safety protocols and all of this other stuff that they have to deal with. And then it's like getting them to have all this like knowledge down about wine and food has become a little bit more difficult because you're working with a lot of people that are not, it's not their, it's normally their first time in the business. You know, let's talk about menus because so many restaurants have had to pare down their menus, simplify their menus, recost out their menus, because obviously prices are rising and, and some of the highest prices we've ever paid for certain items, as well as, you know, the labor crisis is led us or forced us to pay higher wages and all these things are shrinking restaurant margins which are already pretty you know slim to begin with how do you how are you dealing with all that have you had to pare down your menus is it essentially the same have you had to raise prices let's talk about that topic in general yeah so we've uh we've had to in the beginning of the pandemic we pared down we pared down the menu drastically we like took a lot of stuff off like most of our fish and all of that stuff like came off the menu at little doms um, and just had like one choice of fish and uh, a chicken. And it, like, it was very, it was very uh, pared down menu really devoted to, to go business. And then through this last what year and a half, it, it's gradually come back and we're pretty much back to, I would say 90% of what we normally uh, did in say 2019. Mm -hmm. So it's been good. And have we raised the prices a, a little bit here and there? Um, but not, it hasn't been much. The, the thing that's really helped us out, uh, a lot, I think, especially with little doms in LA, is just the, the sheer volume that we've been doing with to go business on top of our regular business has made little doms like even stronger than it was in 2019. Yeah. So I was really impressed with that. Um, I that's noticed definitely helped our food cost out. Yeah, for sure. Like you're doing the grocery and retail thing. And I know you're doing meats and cheeses by the pound and you're selling sauces and meatballs and all that kind of stuff. Pizza kits, right? And gelato Sunday kits and all these things are innovative ideas that obviously capture the public's imagination, but it's moving stuff out the door to augment everything you're doing in-house, which, which is tremendous. So that's right. And would you like have... Would you have a done little, that anyway if the pandemic didn't hit? Were, did, were you, did you have a retail program in place and you just no, expanded no, it? No, uh, to yeah, to a degree, we had a retail. Uh, yeah, we had a little bit of retail business in place, um, but it was funny. Like we started all that with the market and everything, um, and it was really strong in the beginning. And because people were, you know, everyone was into baking bread and making them pizza at home and. Once, once people got a little tired of <laughs> spending so much time at home, it started to come around right, where I was right. like, our to-go business just stayed really steady and got crazy busy throughout the whole pandemic. And the longer the pandemic went on, uh, our to-go business, um, it's great because our, our food travels so well. So like all of that food, people you know, once they got tired of baking bread and making their own pizzas at home, they're like, let's just, I just want the food uh, delivered to me and I can put it on a plate and eat it. That became our like main stay was the solid just to go business. The, the sort of like market and all of that was good in the beginning, but people, once, once you were able to go to the grocery store again, easy, easier, 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 it was, uh, it became, you know, a little bit less of our business. 
Everyone knows that Smithfield Culinary has a full line of great ready-to-cook to ready-to-eat products from Smithfield and Margarita. But what else is cooking? Tap into the latest culinary trends and get inspired with new recipes created by real working chefs from across the country. Bring more to the table with flavors and new menu ideas your guests will savor. Visit smithfieldculinary.com or follow at smithfieldculinary on social media. How has uh, third-party delivery impacted your business? It's obviously increased sales. Is it, It's been a controversial topic, as you know, because there's still a lot of people that are grumbling about the high fees and all that kind of stuff and how it already minimizes already low margins and that sort of thing. How do you deal with that? Um, we are fortunate to be one of the bigger players in the to-go business. So businesses like that, tend to give us a better rate. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you're, you know, a place that doesn't do as quite as much to go business, then you're not going to get that better rate. And fortunately for us, um, we have been with a third party delivery business um, since the began, since the pandemic began and way before that uh, we were with them. Um, and since our business has like exponentially grown, since then we've we've stayed with them and they've given us you know each year we've gotten a bit a little bit better rate so it's you know we're one of the few i think that have benefited from all of this that's another great example for our audience those that are growing their businesses i learned a long time ago you don't ask you don't get you never know what is negotiable and you should always try to negotiate a better deal whether that's credit card processing fees or third-party exactly. delivery or anything, it's like, you don't ask, you don't get. So word of the right. wise there. Let's talk about marketing a little bit. You're doing Monday night, three-course dinners. Was that traditionally a slower night? And now you're building Monday nights into something? Yep. That that started back at Dominic's back in 2000, the summer of 2004, we started doing Monday night suppers because notoriously that was uh i'm sorry that was, we did sunday night suppers okay yep at dominic's and then once little doms opened we did monday night suppers um at little doms and now we do tuesday night suppers at little dom seafood because um it's very uh it's a sort of a vacation sort of a spot it's so little dom seafood the slower days are Tuesday and Wednesday mm-hmm. uh, tend to be up there where Monday people tend to stay through the weekend and, and leave on Monday or leave on Tuesday morning. So our slower days are Tuesday and Wednesday up there. So it made sense to do Tuesday night supper up there, but it all started back at Dominic's Sunday night supper because Sunday night in Los Angeles was the slower dining night and it was successful right off the start. Now, Thanksgiving just recently passed, but you have another tradition there, deep fried turkey feast. Tell us how that came to be and how that's working out. Uh, yeah, we had always had been closed on Thanksgiving. And for, I think, the, the first year after Little Dom's being open, it was like a year or two after that, we decided to like, hey, let's do something to like get back to the community. And we decided, I was like, okay, let's deep fry turkeys. And the, the first year, we didn't realize what we we're getting into. And we're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll do like 50 or so. And now it's, we've got it down. We got the pots all ready to go and we sell sides and everything. And it, we do it like clockwork, but uh, it's yes. Thanksgiving to go at Little Dom's deep fried turkeys is a 
tradition that's been going strong ever since. And we just started at, at Little Dom Seafood this year for the first time. That's what you got to do, right? You got to get creative, got to get resourceful and figure out new ways on slower days of bringing in new business. So Right. And it's also just to keep your name out there, keep the restaurant's name out there, keep it relevant. Like all those little things, they just add up. Like, you know, doing your Little Dom's uh, Thanksgiving and we've done like Mardi Gras stuff from time to time and We'll do like some Christmas stuff and Feast of the Seven Fishes from time to time, just to kind of get your name out there. Just keep it relevant. You always got to like be coming up with those little things that just you don't realize they help right away, but they do. What's your social media strategy? Do you have a dedicated person taking care of social media and also answering online reviews and that sort of thing? Uh, yes, we have a we have a PR firm and we also have a person that takes care of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, just like keeping our, ourselves like relevant when it comes to social media and, and PR, it's like, we've had the same PR firm for, uh, what, 15 years since 2005 or something. Uh, we've used them ever since. And it's just keeping ourselves relevant, you know, all those little publications, the bigger ones come from time to time. But like, I think the thing that really drives it is the smaller stuff and, just simple things like getting on the food network, it, like for certain little things, like make a pretty significant impact um, when it does happen. Have you traveled to Italy for influences and to get new ideas at all? Does that happen? Uh, yes. Uh, I was trying to go back to Italy and uh, during the pandemic, but that got canceled. Um, right, but right. yes, we go. I've been to Rome a few times and Venice and. Milan and one of the 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 reason why we do very super paper thin uh pizza at Little Dom's was because my business partner was at a wedding in Lake Como and he saw these pizzas being done by putting the pizza dough through a sheeter and creating this like long surfboard type pizza and he was like hey we got to go check this out so um he uh and myself and his mother went to Lake Como specifically just to sit in a place and eat pizza for a few nights, just to see it. And lo and behold, uh, a few years later, we opened up Little Dom's and we created our pizza, which is like super thin, not as long as the ones that we saw in Lake Como, but it was Mm -hmm. very similar to that. Yeah. I love those influences. In so many years ago, decades ago, I was in graduate school and I did an internship in Milan, Italy, and I lived there for the summer. And that whole pizza culture in Italy just totally swept me up. And I never thought I'd be in the pizza business. But, you know, I started my first restaurant, which was a wood fired pizzeria. And then we actually went back uh, after we had opened it. Six months later, we went back to Naples and we discovered like the oldest pizzeria on the planet where pizza as we know it was actually created so many generations ago and the original descendants of that founding family still worked that pizzeria and i had very very basic italian skills back then i've lost most of it now but it's like i was able to communicate to them that we had just opened this wood-fired pizza place in the state of maine and you know we we just wanted to check this place out they invited us behind the counter and we spent the afternoon making pizza in the oldest pizzeria on the planet and i thought that was a great marketing hook and we printed that on our menus and all the pizza boxes and all that kind of stuff and we actually learned some secrets to pizza making from these people and just such a proud heritage you know, yeah. people that work in the pizza industry in Italy are kind of revered like CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are here in America. <laughs> crazy. And a, a crazy uh, and a good little business tip about our pizza yeah. is that 
we're sitting there eating it when we're in Lake Como and you're like, you ate this, it looks gigantic. And even mm-hmm. our pizzas that are at little Dom's they you know, they're like the size of like put in front of your chest and it's like, right. it covers your chest. It covers up a, a big eight and a half by 12 board that it sits on. Mm-hmm. And you think that it's a lot of food, but you can actually eat one of those and have something else. The trick is it's so paper thin that we actually only use a, a five ounce dough to make this pizza. When traditionally, when you get an individual pizza for yourself or whatever that, you know, looks like, you know, the size of your, your face, it's, it's usually like an eight ounce to like 10 ounce dough that they're using. So it's like, you're eating much less food, but you're deceiving the eye and it, it helps with our, our ticket, uh, average. You know? Absolutely. Totally. And you know, there's, there's misconceptions like people are used to American style pizza. And when we started this place so long ago, we only had one size. You can't get a large loaded pizza at our right. place. You could only get a 12 inch per, you know, and because that's the way it is in Italy. And the only difference is we cut the pizzas here. Whereas in Italy, they give you a knife and a fork, but they don't cut the pie. Yeah. And it's this round 12 inch pizza. So yes. we, you know, we surprised a bunch of people in the beginning when we started offering these one size only pizzas and, you know, people eventually got it. It became very successful, but it's such a culture. Yeah. Speak, speaking of like loaded pizzas, we were on the, the show that we were on the pizza episode of the best thing I ever ate. And we were on there for our, our breakfast pizza, which is uh, three uh, beautiful slices of speck. And as the pizza is going into the oven, with a uh, fresh mozzarella, a little simple tomato sauce, uh, an egg is cracked into it and created like a little well and slid into the wood burning oven to cook this egg. Yeah. Uh, and as it comes out, you have this like nice, like sunny side up eggs and it's uh perfect. It comes out. And when it was on the uh, best thing I ever ate, the host that was doing our segment was like, Hey, little tip. I like two eggs on this pizza. And ever since that thing would run, people would come in and you'd be noticeable because the episode would air. And then like the next day, or if it was a weekend or whatever, the next day you would see the like uptick in the sale of that breakfast pizza. And then it's like, you would also notice that everyone had uh, two eggs on their pizza. Then we had people coming in saying, Hey, we want can I get three eggs on my pizza? And we're like, no, sorry. It's just, it's too difficult to try and try and get that right. That's and so we have to put a, we have to put a two egg lemon on our pizza. But that's a hook also. I think that's yeah. tremendous. You know, you yeah. don't see that everywhere every day. So I, I'm a huge believer in setting yourself apart from the competition, doing really unique, creative things with the food. And, you know, ha- I used to have this phrase called wow factor. I wanted everything in the restaurant to have what I call wow factor. And it all started with the food. I wanted every plate that was put before a guest that the camera phones came out and they wanted to take photos of it before they cut into it, that sort of thing. But then we're like, well, the ambiance has to have wow factor and the service has to have wow factor. And everyone has to walk out the door saying, wow, you know, we got to tell everybody about this. And that was one of the, you know, secrets of our success as well. And it sounds like you're doing a lot of that. Why don't you, um, if you could, please, and whatever your whatever comes to mind first, obviously the pandemic has devastated this industry. Well over a hundred thousand restaurants have closed. You know, previously thriving businesses are now no longer. And those people that are still operating restaurants, whether they're chef owners or independent owners, whatever they are, small chains of restaurants, 
if they're still standing, they're beaten up pretty bad. Okay. First it's a pandemic. Now it's a labor crisis. And it's like our goal with the podcast is just to help them rediscover that passion of why they got into the business in the first place. And you're in a really good position to give them some advice that just keeps them going. So they dig deep, get creative, get resourceful. What would you say to our audience about you're still standing? Awesome. What's the future look like and why should you keep going? I, I think like I talked about before, just like defining yourself, just being very like getting back to what you originally started out doing. I think you can be successful by just like focusing in on what what your restaurant is and what it's about and like really like driving that home and, and sticking to your guns with that and understanding your your neighborhood um, or your just like your local clientele, figuring out what they are and what they want. Like that's where I see the biggest failure coming in is mm-hmm. these people that want to open up this, like they have these grandiose ideas of opening up a restaurant and like making it. Yeah. Cause it's like, I like to cook like this, like this type of food, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, yeah. And, and they don't take a, into consideration where it's located, who their clientele is, what their clientele wants. And I think that's like, listen, I think one of the big things is just kind of listen to your customer you know, I think we've had to do that through the pandemic because the, like people would come in and it's like, hey, can we get this and can we get that? And like we brought lots of other things in. And I think it, the big thing is just like focus on what you want to be, but also don't forget to listen to your customer and what they want. For sure. I mean, I've always believed this is the business of a thousand details and the word business is most important. People that are starting restaurants because they think it's glamorous or romantic or whatever, they think they can <laughs> Don't realize, as you know, that it is a business and there's so many aspects of running a business, not just putting out great food every day. So thanks for bringing that home. That's so important. Well, that was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Brandon, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're a great guest. And to our audience, please stay well and just dig deep and just keep going. Um, This is all about the future. It's only getting better and the future's bright. Obviously, uh, restaurant customers are coming back in droves right now. And if you can just get through this, it's going to continue to boom in the future. So stay at it. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon, for being a great guest on the podcast. You and chefs around the globe are the heart of the heart of the house. And we appreciate all that you do. Let me shift gears for a moment. If you head on over to restaurantrockstars.com, I'm giving away for free three ways you're killing your restaurant profits. Did I get your attention for a moment? That's right. I said profit. It's all about the bottom line and profit. And this is immediately actionable ideas that will help you be more profitable in your restaurant operation. It's actually a twofold giveaway. I'm also giving away a free restaurant assessment. Whether you're starting your first restaurant for the very first time or you're a veteran, you've been in business a while, I'm giving away 40 to 50 different questions, thought-provoking questions that'll help you evaluate your entire operation from a profit standpoint and see if you're hitting the mark hitting all counts. Head on over to restaurantrockstars.com. Thanks also to the sponsors of this week's episode, Smithfield Culinary, Pop Menu, Devo, and Serve, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety. It's the incredible restaurant staff training app. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.